Well, Jeeves, here we are. What? Yes, sir. I mean to say, part two of our radiorific adventures in Wrinkly Court, eh? Indeed, sir. Do, do you expect it'll be a petrol part one? I could not say, sir. Well, I do. In fact, I, I rather expect it to be our, our Empire Strikes Back, Jeeves. Sir? You know, the stupendous sequel that exceeds expectations, that sort of thing. I do take your point, sir, but I feel I ought to remind you, if, sir, you will permit me, that as these installments were written and performed simultaneously, perhaps the two towers might be the more appropriate cinematic parallel, sir. Are you implying I'm a hobbit, Jeeves? Oh, no, sir. Because I'm not a hobbit? Of course not, sir. But for clarification for our radio audience, I'm actually rather tall. Indeed, sir. A- and my feet are minimally hirsute. Of course, sir. I'm not a hobbit, Jeeves. The thought never crossed my mind, sir. Well, good. Good. Now, uh, now that I've had second breakfast, what say you I light up my pipe and we uh, get on with the programme? Very good, sir. Lena Hamid Productions proudly presents a wireless staging of Right Ho Jeeves, adapted from the book by P.G. Woodhouse. I'll go for a stroll. I'm sure Gus is about there somewhere, having excused himself earlier. I can't tempt you with a game of backgammon, then. Oh, no thanks, old F&B. Mind resolute. Straight on task. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, Gussie. (sighs) You and your well, Gussie. I like your nerve coming bounding about the place saying, Well, Gussie. That's about all the well, Gussie, I shall require from you, Wooster. And it's no good looking like that. You know what I mean. That damned prize-giving. It was a dastardly act to crawl out as you did and shove it off on me. I will not mince my words. It was the act of a hound and a stinker. But, my dear chap, I took it for granted that you would understand that it was all a part of my schemes. Crawling out is entirely the wrong way to put it. You don't suppose I didn't want to distribute those prizes, do you? Left to myself, there is nothing I would find a greater treat. And I saw that the square, generous thing to do was to step aside and let you take it on. So, I did so. I felt that your need was greater than mine. You don't mean to say you're not looking forward to it. As one does a lobotomy. But dash it, can't you see what this is going to do for you? It will send your stock up with a jump. There you will be up on that platform, a romantic, impressive figure, the star of the whole proceedings, the, the what-you-call-it of all eyes. Madeline Bassett will be all over you. She'll see you in a totally new light. She will, will she? Oh, certainly she will. Augustus Finknottle, the newt's friend she knows... She is acquainted with Augustus Finknottle, the dog's chiropodist, but Augustus Finknottle, the orator, now that'll knock her sideways, or I know nothing of the female heart. Girls go potty over a public man. If ever anyone did anyone else a kindness, it was when I gave this extraordinarily attractive assignment to you. Hmm. Hmm, yes, yes, perhaps, I suppose. Have you ever made a speech, Bertie? Oh, 
dozens of times. It's by nothing to it. Well, I once addressed a girls' school. How did you go? Oh, smashingly, old chum. Ask Jeeves about it. He'll testify to what an extraordinary success it was. Uh, they didn't throw eggs or anything? Not a thing. Well, it, it may be all right. Possibly I'm letting the thing prey on my mind too much. I, I may be wrong in supposing it a fate worse than death, but, but I'll tell you this much. The prospect of that prize-giving on the 31st of this month has been turning my existence into a nightmare. I haven't been able to think or, or, or sleep or eat. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. You never explained that cipher telegram about sausages and ham. There wasn't a cipher telegram. I wanted you to go light on the food so that she would realise you were in love. Ah, I see. Well, well, I've been doing that all right. Yes, I was noticing at dinner. Splendid. I don't see what's splendid about it. It's not going to get me anywhere. I shall never be able to ask her to marry me. I couldn't find the nerve to do that if I lived on wafer biscuits for the rest of my life. Oh, but dash it, Gussie, in these romantic surroundings, I should have thought the whispering trees alone. They whisper nothing but torment and ridicule. Oh, that's better than if they yelled it. Come now, Gussie, really. Oh, I can't. She seems so aloof, so remote. She doesn't. Yes, she does. Especially when you see her sideways. Have you seen her sideways, Bertie? That cold, pure profile... It just takes all the heart out of one. Oh, it's hardly a mugshot, Gussie. I catch sight of it and the words freeze on my lips. All right, all right, I suppose. She must be softened up. Be what? Softened up, sweetened, worked on. Preliminary spade work must be put in. Here, Gussie, is the procedure I propose to adopt. I shall now return to the house and lug this basset out for a stroll. I shall talk to her of um, hearts that yearn, intimating that there is one actually on the premises. I shall pitch it strong, sparing no effort. You, meanwhile, will lurk on the outskirts. In about a quarter of an hour, you will come along and carry on from there. By that time, her emotions having been stirred, you ought to be able to do the rest on your head. It will be like leaping onto a moving bus. I, I see what you mean. You, you'll sort of pave the way, as it were. That's right, spade work. It, it's a terrific idea, Bertie. It will make all the difference. Quite, quite, quite. But don't forget that after that it will be up to you. We'll have to haul up your slacks and give her the old oil, or my efforts will have all been in vain. Oh, that's true, but what the dickens shall I say? Oh, dash it, there are hundreds of things you can say. Talk about the sunset. Uh, the sunset? But what can I say about the sunset? Oh, Jeeves got off a good one the other day. I, I met him airing the dog in the park one evening, and he said, Now fades the glimmering landscape on the sight, sir, and all the air of solemn stillness holds. You might use that. What sort of landscape? Glimmering. G for gastritis, L for lizard... Uh... Uh, oh, glimmering. Y yes, that's not bad. Glimmering landscape. Solemn stillness. Uh, yes, I call that pretty good. You then say that you have often thought the stars are God's daisy chain. But I haven't. I dare say not, but she has. Hand her that one, and I don't see how she can help feeling that you're a twin soul. God's daisy chain? God's daisy chain. And then you go on about how twilight always makes you sad. I know you're going to say it doesn't, but on this occasion it has jolly well got to. Why? Because that's just what you will ask, and then you have got her going. Because you will reply that it is because yours is such a lonely life. It wouldn't be a bad idea to give her a brief description of a typical home evening for you and your Lincolnshire residence, showing how you pace the meadows with a heavy tread. I generally sit indoors and listen to the wireless. No, you don't. You pace the meadows with a heavy tread, wishing that you had someone to love you. Then you, you speak of the day when she came into your life. Like a fairy princess. Excellent, Gussie, just so, like a fairy princess. And then? Well, after that, it's easy. You say you have something you want to say to her, and then you, uh, you snap into it. 
I don't see how I can fail. If I were you, I should do it in this rose garden. It is as well established that there is no sounder move than to steer the adored object into rose gardens in the gloaming. And you'd better have a couple of quick ones first. Quick ones? Snifters. Uh, drinks, do you mean? But, but, but I don't drink. What? I've never touched a drop in my life. Well, you'll have to make out as best you can on orange juice then, I suppose. Now, let's just have a run-through to see that you've got the layout straight. Start off with the glimmering landscape. Stars, gods, daisy chain. Twilight makes you feel sad. Because my lonely life. Describe life. Uh, talk about the day I met her. Add fairy princess gag, say there's something you want to say to her, heave a couple of sighs, grab a hand and give her the works. Right. Time for spade work. Miss Best. Oh, Mr. Worcester. Lovely evening. Yes, lovely, isn't it? Lovely. Reminds me of Cannes. How lovely the evenings were there. Lovely. 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 Oh, look at that sweet little star up there all by itself. Yes. I wonder if it feels lonely. Oh, I shouldn't think so. A fairy must have been crying. I'm sorry? Don't you remember? Every time a fairy sheds a tear, a wee bit star is born in the Milky Way. Have you ever thought that, Mr Worcester? Oh, yes, every other Tuesday. Uh, Talking of shedding tears... Oh, look! The little bunnies! Yes, talking of shedding tears... Don't you love this time of evening, Mr Worcester? When the sun has gone to bed and all the bunnies come out to have their little suppers? When I was a child, I used to think that rabbits were gnomes... And that if I held my breath and stayed quite still, I should see the Fairy Queen. Oh, I'm absolutely sure you did. Now, talking of shedding tears, it may interest you to know that there is an aching heart in Brinkley Court. Oh, yes. Life is very sad, isn't it? Yes, for some people. This aching heart, for instance. Those wistful eyes of hers, drenched irises. And they used to dance like elves of delight. That love should die all over a flatfish fight. Uh, oh, oh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about Angela. But her heart is aching. Well, I know it's aching, but so somebody else's. Somebody else? Mr Glossops, you mean? No, I don't. Mrs Travis? No, not Aunt Dahlia either. I'm sure she is dreadfully upset. Quite. But this heart I'm talking about isn't aching because of Tuppy's row with Angela. It's aching for a different reason altogether. I mean to say, dash it, you know why hearts ache. You mean... For love? Absolutely. Right on the bullseye. For love. Oh, Mr Worcester! Yes, there is a heart on these very premises which has begun to ache with love for you. It's having a dickens of a time. Can't eat, can't sleep, all for love of you. And what makes it so particularly rotten is that it, this uh, this aching heart, can't bring itself up to the scratch and tell you the position of affairs because your profile has gone and given it cold feet. Uh, Just as it's um, about to speak, it catches sight of you sideways and words fail it. Silly, of course, but uh, there it is. Please don't say any more, Mr Worcester. I understand. Yes, I understand. I won't be so silly as to pretend to not know what you mean. I suspected this at Cannes, when you used to stand and stare at me without speaking a word, but with whole volumes in your eyes. Oh, no. Yes, all through those days at Cannes, I could see what you were trying to say. A girl always knows... And then you followed me down here, and there was that same dumb, yearning look in your eyes when we met this evening. And then you were so insistent that I should come out and walk with you in the twilight. And now you stammer out those halting words, 
No, this does not come as a surprise. But I am sorry. But I am afraid it is impossible. Oh! Poopsie. I'm sorry. Right, all right. Sorrier than I can say. Dush, dush and stuffings. We can still be friends. Oh, how delightful. Then shall we just say no more about it? Keep what has happened as a tender little secret between ourselves. Absolutely. We will. Like something lovely and fragrant laid away in lavender. Yes, like a, a bathroom mitt. I am fond of you, Mr... No, I think I must call you Bertie. May I? Oh, rather. I do like you, Bertie. And if things were different, I wonder... Eh? After all, we are real friends. We have this common memory. You have a right to know. I don't want you to think... Life is such a muddle, isn't it? You, you mean there's someone else? There is. Engaged? What? No, not engaged. I'm afraid he doesn't care for me in that way. At least he has said nothing. You understand that I'm only telling you this because... Oh, rather, rather. It's a silly little story. I was staying with some friends in the country, and I had gone for a walk with my dog, and the poor wee mite got a nicely thorn in his little foot, and I didn't know what to do. And then suddenly, this man came along. Rouses! I beg your pardon. Oh, nothing, nothing. I, I just, um, I just spotted some particularly impressive little bunnies. Now, if you don't mind, I think I'll be going in. Oh, look, here comes Gussie Fink Nozzle. Hello. Yes, he will look after you. Well, hello, Mr. Fink Nozzle. Uh, yes, uh, hello, hello indeed, Miss Miss Bassett. Hello. 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 Hello, hello. I, I say, Madeline. I may call you Madeline. Oh, rather. Oh, splendid. I, I, uh, I say, Madeline. Would you just look at this glistening landscape? I'm sorry. Oh, glimmering. I, I meant to say glimmering. Oh. But, but I said glistening. Oh, it's no matter. Oh, but it is. Landscapes don't glisten. Newts glisten. Do you like newts, Madeline? Oh, I... I love each and every one of nature's plentiful creatures. I like newts. I like newts very much. Oh, do you? Oh, yes. D do you know that newts have a larval stage? Odd, that. You don't think of newts as having a larval stage, but they do. Their external gills are almost plum-like. Oh. Oh, yes. And, and did you know that the great crested newt is Britain's largest amphibian? It can grow the size of a flute. A, a, a flute newt. Oh. Yes. And they, they they have the capacity to regenerate limbs, you know, and, and jaws. And they hibernate. They hibernate in winter. Do they? And let me tell you how they mate. Oh, I think I just heard my name being called from the house. I... I would so dearly love to speak with you again, Mr. Finknottle. I really would. But I, um... Goodbye! Oh, bugger. Monsieur Anatole to see you, ma'am. Hmm. Yeah, very well, Seppings. Thank you. Can I help you, Anatole? Help? 
The scenario has passed the positioning of help. She is asked if she can help. Help, my futile tosh. Never in all my behind have been so insulated. I'm sorry, my man, I don't follow. This was to be my messy piece, my money lassie, and instead it is a disgrace and a despair. I ask you why you do not spit in my nose and get over with it. What on earth are you talking about? Untouched. Not even the scrappiest touch of saliva. Rejection. How dare you? Oh, you mean the dinner? Oh, no, 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 Monsieur Anatoly, it is simple misunderstanding, you see? No! You cannot hoodwinkle me with English double dippings and clever goggles. I have been humiliated, and it cannot be standing nevermore. I am out of here! You mean, you're giving notice? Just so, my old fish. This is the end, and there is no turning of the back. Worcester? Tuppy, old man. Come in, come in. My room is yours, as they say. As who says? Do you know? I've no idea. The French, probably. Anywho, make your report. What report? Have you nothing to tell me about Angela? Oh, only that she's a blister. Hasn't she come clustering round you yet? She has not. Oh, but she must have noted your lack of appetite. Lack of appetite? I'm as hollow as the Grand Canyon. Oh, courage, Tuppy. Think of Gandhi. What about Gandhi? Well, he hasn't had a square meal for years. Besides, she's probably looking for you right now. Who is? Angela? Yes, she must have noticed your supreme sacrifice. Oh, I don't suppose she's noticed it at all, the little fathead. I'll bet it didn't register in any way whatsoever. Oh, come, Tuppy, this is morbid. Don't take this gloomy view. She must at least have spotted that you refused those nonnettes de poulet agnesoel. It was a sensational renunciation. It stuck out like a sore thumb. And the cafe à la Rossini... Oh, will you stop it, Bertie? Do you think I'm made of marble? Isn't it bad enough to have sat watching one of Anatole's supremest dinners flit by course after course without having you making a song about it? Don't remind me of those nonettes. I can't stand it. I'll be brave, Tuppy. Fix your thoughts on that cold steak and kidney pie in the larder, as the good book says, it cometh in the morning. Yes, in the morning. And it's now about half past nine at night. You would bring that pie up, wouldn't you? Just when I was trying to keep my mind off it. Besides... I've been having a think about this whole business of myself and Angela. Oh, yes? I have analysed the situation pitilessly, and one thing stands out as clear as damn it. There has been dirty work afoot. I, I don't get you. All right. Let me review the facts. Up to the time she went to Cannes, Angela loved me. She was all over me. I was the blue-eyed boy in every sense of the term. You'll admit that. Oh, indisputably. And directly she came back, we had this bust-up. Oh, quite. About nothing. Oh, dash it, old man, nothing. You were a bit tactless. What about her shark? I was frank and candid about her shark, and that's my point. Do you seriously believe that a trifling disagreement about sharks would make a girl hand a man his hat if her heart were really his? Certainly. Rot! It was just a pretext. She wanted to get rid of me and grabbed at the first excuse. No, no, no. I tell you she did. What on earth would she want to get rid of you for? Exactly. That's the very question I asked myself, and here's the answer. 
because she has fallen in love with somebody else. It sticks out a mile, and there's no other possible solution. And I'll tell you one thing, and you can take this as official. If ever I find this slimy, slithery snake in the grass, he'd better make all the necessary arrangements at his favourite nursing home without delay, because I am going to be very rough with him. I propose, if and when found, to take him by his beastly neck, shake him till he froths, and pull him inside out, and make him swallow himself. Someone else? Tush. I will just see what Angela has to say about this. Yes, yes, that's it. She'll make a full renunciation, and thereby effect a reconciliation. Yes, that's the ticket. Bertram Worcester, you've not yet lost your touch. She said she had a headache. Hmm. What did you want her for? Well, I thought she might like a stroll and a chat. Oh, you're going for a stroll? Where? Ooh, hither and thither. Then I wonder if you would mind doing something for me. Well, give it a name. It won't take you long. You know that path that runs past the greenhouse into the kitchen garden? If you go along it, you come to a pond. Well, that's right. Well, will you get a good, stout piece of rope or cord and go down that path till you come to the pond? To the pond, right. And look about it till you find a nice heavy stone, or a fairly large brick would do. I see. Stone or brick, yes. And, uh, and then? And then I want you, like a good boy, to fasten the rope to the brick and tie it round your damned neck and jump into the pond and drown yourself. In a few days I will send and have you fished up and buried because I shall need to dance on your grave. What on earth is all this about? You seem pipped with Bertram. Pipped? Noticeably pipped. Why this ill-concealed animus? Who was the ass? Who was the chump? Who was the dithering idiot who talked me against my better judgment into going without my dinner. I might have guessed. Oh, it's all right, Aunt Dahlia. I know how you're feeling. A bit on the hollow side. What? But the agony will pass. If I were you, I'd sneak down and raid the larder after the household will have gone to bed. I'm told there's a pretty good steak and kidney pie there which will repay inspection. Have faith, Aunt Dahlia. I'm pretty sure Uncle Tom will be along, full of sympathy and, and anxious inquiries. Will he? Do you know where he is now? Oh, have the foggiest. He is in the study with his face buried in his hands, muttering about civilization and melting pots. Eh? Why? Because it has just been my painful duty to inform him that Anatoly has given his notice. What? Given notice. As the result of that drivelling scheme of yours, what did you expect a sensitive, temperamental French cook to do if you went about urging everybody to refuse all food? I hear that when the first two courses came back to the kitchen practically untouched, his feelings were so hurt that he cried like a child. And when the rest of the dinner followed, he came to the conclusion that the whole thing was a studied and calculated insult and decided to hand in his portfolio. Golly! You may well say golly, Anatoly, God's gift to the gastric juices, gone like the dew of the petal of a rose all through your idiocy. Perhaps you understand now why I want you to go and jump in that pond. I might have known that some hideous disaster would strike this house like a thunderbolt if once you wriggled your way into it and started trying to be clever. I am sorry. Oh, wonderful. He's apologetic, and thus all is remedied. I acted for what I deemed the best. Another time. 
Try acting for the worst. Then we may possibly escape with a mere flesh wound. Bad. Quite bad, beyond a doubt. Certainly a nasty jar for one and all, but, but have no fear, Aunt Dahlia. I will fix everything. Oh, no, you don't. If you dare to try any more of your lunatic schemes... Not to worry, relative of mine. Bertram Worcester is on the case. Maybe I should drown myself. Come along, tell me that difficult. Yes, I must, I must merely relax the sphincter of the mind's eye and the solution will flow. Yes, I... I, uh... I say, Gussie, Jeeves, what on earth are the pair of you doing behind that bush? Good evening, sir. Mr. Finknottle is not feeling well. <laughs> goodbye, Bertie. You mean hello, don't you? No, I don't. I mean goodbye. I'm off. Off where? To the kitchen garden to drown myself. Oh, don't be an ass, Gussie. Besides, at this rate, it'll be too crowded. I'm not an ass. Am I an ass, Jeeves? Possibly a little injudicious, sir. Drowning myself, you mean? Yes, sir. Very well, Jeeves. I accept your ruling. You've been very kind to me, Jeeves. Thank you, sir. So have you, Bertie. Very kind. Everybody has been very kind to me. Very, very kind. Very kind indeed. I have no complaints to make. All right, I'll go for a walk instead. Jeeves, what the dickens is all this? Mr Finknottle is not quite himself, sir. He has passed through a trying experience. I left him out here with Miss Bassett. Yes, sir. I'd softened her up. Yes, sir. He knew exactly what he had to do. I'd coached him thoroughly in lines and business. Yes, sir. So Mr. Finknottle informed me. Well, then? I regret to say, sir, that there was a slight hitch. You mean uh, something went wrong? Yes, sir. But, but how could anything go wrong? She loves him, Jeeves. Indeed, sir. Well, she definitely told me so. All we had to do was propose. Yes, sir. Well, didn't he? No, sir. Then what the dickens did he talk about? Newts, sir. Newts? Newts, sir. You mean to say he, he couldn't uh, he couldn't bring himself to the point, Chief? Precisely, sir. And so he reverted to a subject of comfort? Indeed, sir. Ah. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I must, I must uh, think it over. Yes, sir. Yeah, burnish the brain a bit and endeavour to find the way out? Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Good night, Jeeves. Good night, sir. Your tea, sir. Ah, thank you, Jeeves. Just what one needs in the morning. Now I shall be ready to... Stab my vitals, tuppy old corpse. You're looking pretty blue around the rims. I've been through hell, Bertie. No? What took you there? (laughs) Ah, worrying about Angela, I suppose. Well, have no fear. I have another well-led plan for encompassing that young shrimp. 
I guarantee that she will be weeping on your neck before yonder sun has set. Fat chance. Tup tushy. What? I, I, I mean, tush tuppy. Uh, I tell you, I will do it. I was just going to describe this plan of mine to Jeeves when you came in. Care to hear it? I don't want to hear any of your beastly plans. Plans are no good. She's gone and fallen in love with this other bloke and now hates my gizzard. Rot. It isn't rot. I tell you, Tuppy, as one who can read the female heart, that Angela loves you still. Well, it didn't look much like it in the larder last night. Oh, you went to the larder last night? I did. And, uh, and Angela was there? She was. And your aunt. Also your uncle. Well, I've stayed in Brinkley Court before, but never had any idea the larder was such a social vortex. Tell me the whole story in your own words, omitting no detail, however apparently slight... For one never knows how important the most trivial detail may be. All right. This is what happened. Where the blasted hell are you? I'm emptier than a volume of romantic German poetry. Aha! There you are, my sweet, delectable steak and kidney masterpiece. Now let's just set the table. Salt, mustard, pepper. Oh, brilliant potatoes. Thank the Lord my suffering is at an end. <clears throat> oh, my word. What on earth are you doing down here, Glossop? And talking to I... yourself? I wasn't talking to myself. Were you talking to the pie? Only a little. Are you raiding my larder? Oh, not in so many... Hang on. If I may ask, if it comes to that, why, Mrs. Travers, are you down here at 1am, in a dressing gown, carrying a knife and fork? I... Are you raiding your own larder? Oh, do shut up, you blithering fathead. If I want to raid my own larder, I'd rather consider it my own business, don't you? Well, I... Good Lord! Tom! Angela! Oh, hello, Mother. Mr. Glossop. I'm glad to see you're seated. You mustn't be straining yourself. Uh, I... What the devil are the two of you doing down here? <laughs> Burglars? Are you mad? <laughs> oh, don't fret, Father. I suspect those noises you heard were just Mr. Glossop eating. You may feel free, I think, to put away your rifle. I ought to have told you, Father, that Mr. Glossop always likes to have a good meal three or four times during the night. It helps to keep him going till breakfast. He has the most amazing appetite. See, he has practically finished a large steak and kidney pie already. Now, 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 look here. Hush, hush, dear. You mustn't get too excited. Your constitution most likely shan't take to it very well. Oh, and that reminds me. Do be careful when you take the stairs, won't you? After seven or eight solid meals, a man of your build ought to be very careful because of the danger of apoplectic fits. It's the same with dogs, you know. When they become very fat and overfed, you have to see they don't hurry upstairs as it makes them puff and pant in the most terrible fashion. Dreadfully bad for their hearts, you know. Well, to do all, I'm off to bed. I'm sure I'll see you all in the morning. Assuming, of course, that Mr. Glossop is still with us, heart condition permitting and all that. Well, goodbye. And you tell me she loves me still. Well, uh, perhaps it's just girlish banter, what? Girlish banter be dashed. She's right off me. Once her ideal, I am now less than the dust beneath her feet. 
She's fallen for this chap, whoever he was, at Cannes, and now she can't stand the sight of me. My dear Tappy, it's simply not possible. You keep talking about this chap at Cannes, and I tell you, there never was a chap at Cannes. If there had been somebody nosing round her, I should have spotted it in a second. During our whole venture, Angela and I were practically inseparable. Oh. She was with you all the time at Cannes, was she? Oh, that's right. It was quite a joke in the hotel. Oh. You, you must have enjoyed that. No, rather. I've always been devoted to Angela. Oh, yes. Mm, yes. When, when we were kids, she used to call herself my little sweetheart. She did? Absolutely. I see. Well, now you see what I mean. I think I do. Breakfast. May I take your tea, sir? No, oh, Jeeves didn't, uh, didn't hear you come in. Of course, of course, I've just been having a chat with young Tuppy Jeeves. She happened to notice he wasn't looking very roguish this morning. Yes, sir. It seemed to me that Mr. Glossop's face was sicklied over with the pale cast of thought. Oh, quite. He met my cousin Angela in the larder last night and a rather painful interview ensued. I am sorry, sir. I'm not half so sorry as he was. She found him closeted with a steak and kidney pie and appears to have been a bit caustic about fat men who live for food alone. Most disturbing, sir. Very. In fact, many people would say that things had gone so far between those two, nothing could now bridge the chasm. They might say flatfish and fat faces had irreparably soured the once sweet cocktail that was love and happiness. Wouldn't people say that, Jeeves? Undeniably, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, they would be wrong. You think so, sir? I'm convinced of it. I know these females. You can't go by what they say. You feel that Miss Angela's strictures should not be taken too much au pied de la lettre, sir. Okay. In English, we should say literally. Uh, literally, yes, that's exactly what I mean. You know what girls are, tiff occurs and they shoot their heads off. But underneath it all, the old love still remains. Am I correct? Quite correct, sir. The poet, Scott... Uh, you're right, oh, Jeeves. Very good, sir. And in order to bring that old love whizzing to the surface once more, all that is required is the proper treatment. By proper treatment, sir, you mean... Clever handling, Jeeves. A spot of the old snicky work. I see what must be done to jerk my cousin Angela back to normalcy. I'll tell you, shall I? If you would be so kind, sir. Well, supposing you were strolling through the inimitable jungle, Jeeves, and happened to meet a tiger cub. The contingency is a remote one, sir. Never mind, let us suppose it. Very good, sir. Now, let us now suppose that you sloshed said tiger cub. Let us suppose further that word reached its mother of said sloshing. What would you expect the attitude of that mother to be? In what frame of mind do you consider that tigress would approach you? I should anticipate a certain show of annoyance, sir. And rightly, due to what is known as the maternal instinct, what? Yes, sir. Very good, Jeeves. We will now suppose that there has recently been some little coolness between this tiger cub and this tigress. For some days, let us say, they have not been on speaking terms. Do you think that would make any difference to the vim with which the latter would leap to the former's aid? No, sir. Exactly. Here, then, in brief, is my plan, Jeeves. I am going to draw my cousin Angela aside to a secluded spot and roast Tuppy properly. Roast? Sir? Knock, slam, tick off, abused, announce. I shall be very terse about Tuffy, giving it as my opinion that in all essentials he is more like a warthog than an ex-member of a fine old English public school. What will ensue? Hearing him attacked, my cousin Angela's womanly heart will be as sick as mud, and the maternal tigress in her will awake. No matter what differences they may have had, she will remember only that he is the man she loves, and will leap to his defence, and from that to falling into his arms and burying the dead past will be but a step.
How do you react to that? The idea is an ingenious one, sir. Oh, well, Roosters are naturally ingenious, Jeeves. Exceedingly so. Yes, sir. As by lunchtime, I should imagine, the engagement will be on again. The diamond and platinum ring glittering as of yore on her third finger. Where's the fourth? Scarcely by luncheon time, sir. Miss Angela's maid informs me that Miss Angela drove off in her car early this morning with the intention of spending the day with friends in the vicinity. Within half an hour of whatever time she comes back, then. These are mere straws, Jeeves. Do not let us chop them. No, sir. The point is that as far as Tuppy and Angela are concerned, we may say with confidence that everything will be shortly hotsy-totsy once more. And what an agreeable thought that is, Jeeves. Righto, then. So much for the Western Front. We now turn to the Eastern. Sir? I speak in parables, Jeeves. What I mean is, we now approach the matter of Gussie and Miss Bassett. Yes, sir. Now here, Jeeves, more direct methods are required. In handling the case of Augustus Fink Nottle, you must always keep in mind the fact that we are dealing with a poop. A sensitive plant would perhaps be a kinder expression, sir? No, Jeeves, a poop. And what's more, a poop who drinks nothing stronger than orange juice. I was not aware of that, sir. I have it from his own lips. Whether from some hereditary taint or because he promised his mother he wouldn't, Gussie Fingnottle has never pushed so much as the simplest gin and tonic over the larynx, and he expects this poop expects Jeeves, under these conditions, to propose to the girl he loves. One hardly knows whether to smile or weep what. You consider total abstinence a handicap to a gentleman who wishes to make a proposal of marriage, sir? Dash it, Jeeves, use your intelligence. Were it not for inflammation, weddings would be a thing of the past, and proposals but a dim memory. Without a Jeeves, we babble. And so shall Gussie again, unless... And this is where I want you to follow me very closely, Jeeves. Unless steps are taken at once through the proper channels. Only active measures, promptly applied, can provide this poor Porsomanius poop with a proper pep. And that is why, Jeeves, I intend tomorrow to secure a bottle of gin and lace his luncheon orange juice with it. Sir? Jeeves, there is absolutely nothing to say sir about the plan I've put forward is straightforward and practicable. Or don't you think so? Well, sir, since you press me, the action you propose does seem somewhat injudicious. Injudicious? I, I don't follow you, Jesus. I feel a certain amount of risk would enter into it, sir. The stimulating effect of alcohol can be unpredictable. I have known it to have distressing results in the case of parrots. Parrots? I was thinking of an incident of my earlier life, sir, before I entered your employment. I was in the service of the late Lord Brancaster at the time, a gentleman who dearly loved his pet parrot, and one day, while in France on official business, said Citizine was displaying a marked lethargy. Endeavouring to rejuvenate it, he fed it a portion of seed cake steeped in the 84 port. And? The bird bit its owner, sung a sea shanty, and flew into the adjacent room where the Treaty of Versailles was being signed, very nearly restarting the Great War that afternoon. Ah, but Gussie isn't a parrot. No, sir, but... Dash it, Jeeves, he thinks himself a male newt. You consider him a parrot. The truth of the matter is that Gussie think not of this just a plain, ordinary poop and needs a snootful as badly as ever a man did. Very good, sir. Right-ho, Jeeves. Now then, Jeeves, we progress to the matter of timing. Tomorrow strikes me as ideal, but not merely for reasons of getting the business done and over with. Tomorrow marks Gussie's date with the realm of Margaret Snodsbury. Two birds with one stone, what? Most efficient, sir. Indeed, Jeeves. And on the subject of efficiency, we turn to the actual lacing. Now, naturally, as Gussie has his orange juice served to him in an individual jug, which will no doubt be lying about the kitchen or somewhere staff for later before lunch tomorrow, 
It'll be the simplest of tasks for you to slip a few fingers of Jeeves. No doubt, sir, but... Uh, don't say but, Jeeves. I fear, sir... Well, I fear, sir, is just as bad. What I am endeavouring to say, sir, is that I am sorry, but I am afraid I must enter an unequivocal null prosequi. You... You... You won't do it? Unfortunately, I cannot, sir. Jeeves, I had not expected this of you. I am sorry, sir. Well, I, I suppose all right's all right then, Jeeves. You will permit me to observe that this is scarcely the feudal spirit. I'm not angry, you understand, merely a little hurt. I do apologise, sir. Oh, think nothing of it. Very good, sir. Right ho, Jeeves. <laughs> What ho, Angela, old girl? Hello, Bertie, darling. Glad you're back at last. I missed you. Did you, darling? I did indeed. Care to come for a saunter? I'd love it. Fine. I have much to say to you that is not for the public ear. Oh. The grass here is quite wet. I think I'd better go in. No, oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. I haven't had a chance to talk with you since you arrived. I shall ruin my shoes. Well, then, let's, uh, let's uh, take a seat on this bench here. You can put your feet up on my lap. All right. And you can tickle my ankles. <laughs> <laughs> well, old thing, I've heard all about your little dust-up, so those wedding bells are not going to ring out, what? No. Definitely over, is it? Yes. Well, bully for you, I say. There's a mystery to me how you stood this gossip so long. Take him for all in all, he ranks very low down among the wines and spirits. A washout, I should describe him as. I pity the girl who was linked for life to Tuppy Glossop. I always thought you were such friends. Friends? Absolutely not. Now, one was civil, of course, when one met the fellow, but it would be absurd to say that one was a friend of his. A club acquaintance. A demure one at that. And then one was at school with a man. At Eton? Oh, good heavens, no. We wouldn't have a fellow like that at Eton. At a kid's school before I went there. Grabby little brute he was, I recollect. Covered up with ink and mire, generally. Washing only on alternate Thursdays. Uncouth about sums it up. Now, I doubt if I've ever seen an uncouther kid than this glossop. Ask anyone who knew him in those days to describe him in a word, and the word they will use is uncouth. And he's just the same today. It's the same old story. The boy is the father of the man. I said, the boy is the father of the man. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this glossop. I thought you said something about somebody's father. No, I, I said the boy was the father of the man. What boy? The boy glossop. He hasn't got a father. I never said he had. I said he was the father of the boy, the, the father of the man. What man? The point I'm trying to make is that the boy glossop is the father of the man glossop. In other words, each loathsome fault and blemish that led the boy glossop to be frowned upon by his fellows is present to the man glossop, and causes him, I am speaking now of the man glossop, to be a hissing and a byword at places like the Drones Club, where a certain standard of decency is demanded from the inmates. There are some chaps, of course, who can overcome external uncouthness through internal wit and, and sparkling suaveness, but this glossop has no such advantage. In addition to looking like one of those things that come out of hollow trees, he is a dumb brick of the first water. No soul. No conversation. In short, any girl who, having been rash enough to get engaged with him, has managed to, at the eleventh hour, slide out, is justly entitled to consider herself dashed lucky. Yes, 
Yes, you're quite right. Eh? That's exactly what I've been thinking myself. What? Dumb brick. It just describes him. One of the six silliest asses in England, I should think he must be. I'm... Oh, well, you know... It's um, so uh, nice, Bertie, talking to somebody who really takes a sensible view about this man, Glossop. Mother says he's a good chap, which is simply absurd. Anybody can see that he's absolutely impossible. He's conceited and opinionative and argues all the time, even when he knows perfectly well that he's talking through his hat. And he smokes too much and eats too much and drinks too much, and I don't like the colour of his hair. Not that he'll have any hair in a year or two, because he's pretty thin on top already, and before he knows where he is, he'll be as bald as an egg. And he is the last man who can afford to go bald. And I think it's simply disgusting the way he gorges all the time. You know, I found him in the larder at one o'clock this morning, absolutely wallowing in a steak and kidney pie. There was hardly any of it left. And you remember that enormous dinner he ate? Quite disgusting, I call it. But I can't stop out here all night talking about men who aren't worth wasting a word on and haven't even got the sense to tell sharks from flatfish. I'm going in. Oh, well, uh, toodles. Ah, that was a wash. Oh, it was, was it? Tuppy! Good heavens, how long have you been behind that bush there? Quite long enough. Uh, Tuppy, listen, about what you may have heard... What I may have heard? How about what I may have seen or felt? In about two seconds, I'm going to kick your spine through the top of your head. Ah, well, jolly good. Let's first get a few things straight. Now, we won't go into the ethics of your eavesdropping, Tuppy, although the habit is un-English, a bit un-English, Tuppy, old man, you must admit. I'm Scotch. Really? I never knew that before. I mean, how you don't suspect a man of being Scotchness is called Max something and says, ah, and and things like that. I I, I do wonder, as we're having this conversation, what exactly is it that they put into haggis? I'm going to stuff you into haggis. I shouldn't think so. I'm I'm far too lean, far too stringy. Unlike, well, um, you know. Oh, unlike me, you mean. Unlike great big fat Tuppy Glossop. No, no, I I, I mean, yes. I I, I mean, tush, Tommy. (laughs) My name is Tuppy, you ingrate. I'll fix You. Tuppy, listen, I've been trying to repair this dashed silly dust up since I first arrived. My intent was to provoke Angela into a maternal response of defence and be attacking a tiger cub. What the bloody hell are you talking about? It's it's an analogy, old boy. You see... uh, That's enough. Not another word. You treacherous, sneaking hound. You're in love with Angela yourself. What? And you knocked me in order to poison her mind against me and finally remove me from your path. Tuppy, my dear old ass, this is pure banana oil. You've come unscrewed. Oh, yes. Me in love with Angela. Ha, ha. You can't get out of it with ha-has. She called you darling. You tickled her ankles. All in a purely cousinly spirit. It didn't mean a thing. She's my childhood friend. Nothing more. Rubbish. It's no good you're standing there arguing. You can't get away from the facts. Somebody stole her from me at Cannes. You told me yourself that she was with you all the time at Cannes and hardly saw anybody else. You gloated over the mixed bathing and those moonlight walks you had together. Not gloated, just mentioned them. So now you understand why, as soon as I can get you clear of this damned bench, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. You've got it all wrong, Tuppy. True, I saw a lot of Angela, but, but my dealings with her... On a basis, from start to finish, of the purest and most wholesome camaraderie, and I can prove it. During that sojourn in Cannes, my affections were, um, engaged elsewhere. What? Engaged elsewhere. My affections. During that sojourn. 
Is that true? Oh, quite official. Who was she? My dear Tuppy, that does, that does one bandy a woman's name. One does if one doesn't want one's righty head pulled off. Oh, well, um, Madeline Best. What? You stand there and tell me you were in love with that Bassett disaster. I, I wouldn't call her that Bassett disaster, Tuppy. Not respectful. Dash being respectful. I want the facts. You deliberately assert that you love that Wait, God help us. Oh, Tuppy, you are unkind. She is most involving company. Well, you should hear her go on about the, the fairy stars and the, and, and the twilight bunnies and such stuff. Oh, yes. You sound aflame with passion. Oh, look, I must ask you to treat this as entirely confidential, Glossop, but I may as well inform you that it is not 24 hours since she turned me down. Turned you down? Like a bedspread in this very garden. 24 hours? Call it 25. So you will readily see that I can't be the chap, if any, who stole Angela from you at Cannes. I see. All right, then. Sorry you were troubled. I did I mention it, old man? I was very clean as a boy, you know. Oh, rather. You could have eaten dinner off me. No doubt they often did. But I've got oodles of soul. Oodles! Well, anyway, this confirms it. She thinks the very worst of me. Oh, now, Tuppy, don't be like that. She's merely grasping for your goat. It's an act, Tuppy. I bet if she saw how upset you were right now, she'd be overflowing with sympathy. Oh, Bertie, darling! No, Angela, we were just talking about you. Oh, were you? Oh, poor Mr Glossop, you do look so upset. Bertie, he must be hungry. Why don't you take him to the larder and throw a few legs of ham his way? That ought to last him a few minutes at the least. Doodloo. Tappy, I am... Um... Not a bloody word. This has been part two of our adaptation of Right Ho Jeeves. Let us know what you thought on social media using the hashtag AHPRightHoJeeves and leave us a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. Please subscribe to find out when the third and final part is released. Right Ho Jeeves was written and directed by Delmarta Blanche and produced by me, Amina Hamid. And starring Pavan Rao as Jeeves, Delmarta Blanche as Bertie Worcester, Sam Rippon as Gussie Finknottle, Anna Chedham Cooper as Aunt Dahlia, Alan Phillip as Tuppy Glossop, Josie Stevens as Madeline Bassett, Hannah Fleming Brown as Angela Travers. Eddie Keenan as the headmaster, Purvis and Seppings, and Percy Fergent as Anatole. Mm-hmm.